We're going to kick off uh, in today's message properly now. We're going to be in Psalm 33 today. We've been working through uh, the Psalms, this collection of songs and poems that we find right in the middle of the Bible. It's the longest book of the Bible. And many of these songs were written by King David of David and Goliath fame. Um, But we don't know who wrote Psalm 33. Uh, It's a glorious psalm. I think it's going to help us a lot today as we go through it. And that the heart of this psalm really is about hoping in God. Now, what I love about the Bible is that it's really, it's very down to earth. It doesn't, um, it doesn't kind of, it's not sort of like super spiritual. It's not kind of like, well, everything's okay and we just have to pretend it is. It's very down to earth and realistic. Sometimes life really sucks. Sometimes life is really hard. And sometimes life is so beautiful that we cannot help but sing. And uh, the Bible's really honest about that. And the Psalms are a collection of songs and poems that help us to process the emotional highs and lows of life before God. Help us to uh, bring things to him, to trust in him, even when we don't understand. Psalm 33 is one all about hoping in God. What do I mean by, by hoping in God? I mean to so uh, center your, your sense of peace on him and not on your control of circumstances in life. Because there's a whole load of things we cannot control, right? Like globally, things that we cannot control. Last weekend, the nation with the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world almost had a civil war. A couple of days before that, interest rates were risen again in this country, putting a lot of pressure on homeowners and a lot of people who were already squeezed because of inflation. A few days before that, and once again, there was warnings around the climate and climate change developing in different nations. There's a lot of things we cannot control. We cannot manage. That's just the global scene. And then there's the personal things as well. Our health or the health of loved ones. Uh, Our finances don't seem to be easy to control at all right now. There's things that we can look upon and think, am I going to have enough? Am I going to have what it takes? Am my family going to have the opportunities I want them to have? Am I going to be able to care for my sick spouse or sick parents? There's things that we can't control and they can leave us with this sense of being uh, uh, kind of troubled in our spirit. They can leave us with a sense of having no peace and how we need to hope in something that is certain and unchanging and true and something that actually will lead to real peace. That's what we need, and that's what Psalm 33 is all about. So we're going to work through it this morning, and we're going to see some truths in Psalm 33 that I believe are reasons for hope, reasons to trust in him. Now, we're going to get to... uh, some of those reasons first. But first, we see that the psalm begins in a tone of celebration, in in a tone of what we've just done, actually. This is what it says in the verses, uh, verses 1 to 3. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. So we see right from the get-go, there's this exhortation, this urging to the people to sing for joy, to shout for joy, to shout with a joy of triumph, as we have just done. We're going to come back to them, because these are really key verses. We're going to land on them a little bit later on. 
Well, we're first going to see why the psalmist is so excited about God. We're going to f- first see why the psalmist is exhorting the people of God to praise him and make his praise glorious. We're going to see some amazing truths about God that we need, that we need to take to our hearts. The Bible really pursues our joy, not by telling us lots of nice things about ourselves, although we do get some really, really wonderful encouragement, but more than anything, by lifting our eyes to God, by lifting our eyes to him, that we get taken off of our resources and our limitations and fixed upon him, to see him for who he is. This is what we really need. And there's increasingly practices in our nation, meditation and yoga and these sorts of things, which are all about emptying one's mind or kind of getting to a state of super consciousness, whatever that means, which don't actually really cut it in the real world. Because you can get to that place and then you kind of have to enter the real world where there is inflation, where there are relational difficulties and where there are all kinds of things that are going on that you cannot control. And it doesn't actually cut it in real life. What you need is a vision of God that will cut it in the day-to-day, in the highs and the lows. That's what you need. And this is what Psalm 33 gives us, a wonderful vision of God. It screams out four things for us that we're going to pull out today, four grounds for our hope that we might trust in him, that our our, uh, hearts won't give way to anxiety and to downcast, troubled kind of spirit. Four things that we're going to pull out as we work through it. Firstly, As we read verses 4 to 5, we see something of God's character. Let's read those. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We, We really need to be persuaded of God's character, that he is faithful. He's faithful to his promises that he's not someone who says something and then rows back on it a little bit later, that he is faithful, he's a faithful God, and that he's a God of unfailing love. Theology really, really matters. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. How you perceive him to be is the most important thing that you can think of. It really, really matters. And last week, I was uh, downstairs serving in the children's work with the years five and sixes, and it was a real privilege, a real joy. I want to encourage as many of you as possible to say, I want to go and serve there once a month. But they had come up with lots of difficult questions for me. I think they, you know, that's not the norm, so if you go and serve there, you're not going to have to answer loads of questions. They had kind of saved up their hardest questions for me. And one of the questions was, I've got it written down here, What was it like before anything was created? What did God do? Did he play games? How long was there nothing? You know, that is a really important question. That is a really important question. What was God doing before all this came to be? The eternal God, what was he doing? Jesus gives us the answer in John chapter 17. In verse 24, he says, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. You loved me. Before all things were created, we see a triune God. Three persons, one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A community of love. We see a God of love before anything else was created. So before he was creator, before he was ruler, he was first and foremost Father. 
You need to understand that. That's who God is. First and foremost, Father, a loving Father. That's how the psalmist can say, the earth is full of your unfailing love. It cannot be said of God that he is love if he was on his own. Because there wasn't anything for him to love. But we, we trust, we believe the scripture's teaching that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A community of love. One God. It's hard to get our heads around, right? But Jesus said, before the creation of the world, you love me, Father. And this is so fundamental to God's character. He's a God of love. And this is a ground for hope, friends. That ultimately, he is a loving father. There's a great writer called Michael Reeves who's written an amazing book called The Good God. And this is what he says in his book. But he has always been a God of fatherly love. It is not that this God does being a father as his day job, only to kick back in the evenings as plain old God. It is not that he has a blob of fatherly icing on top. He is father all the way down. Thus, all that he does, he does as father. You need to understand this, friends, that you have a loving father. If you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, you have a loving father who's committed to you, who is faithful in all that he does, who doesn't change. <laughs> he doesn't sort of give up on his commitments. And that, that is such good news. But for some of you, that's not, that doesn't sound very encouraging upon first hearing because you had a terrible dad. Some of you had a terrible father. But you need to understand God's not some pumped up version of your dad. He is the perfect father from whom every dad is supposed to get their cue. He is perfect in all of his ways. There's no flaws within him. And he loves you. This is a ground for our hope, is it not? In a turbulent world, that we've got a God who is our Father and who is full of unfailing love for us. And he loves us. He doesn't change. Do you want ground for hope number two? God's power. God's power. If I can find the verses. Let's read on, shall we, in the psalm. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Are we getting to understand why this psalmist is so excited about singing to God? Not only is he faithful in all his ways, not only is he full of unfailing love, not only is he to have, uh, with a character that we can trust, he is powerful. This talks about his unstoppable power. This talks about him speaking and whole galaxies coming to exist. Beautiful galaxies of millions, billions of stars coming to exist when he says so. He just says the word, and they have to exist. He imagines it, and it comes into being. This is the God that we worship. We heard from Emily earlier, the heavens declare the glory of God. They speak to us, friends. Every time we see a clear night sky, they speak to us. These stars speak to us. 
Every time we see a beautiful sunset, we're spoken to of the glory of God. He imagined it. He said it, and it came to be. He doesn't lack resources to fulfill his plans. So often I, I go to, to go and do something, and I have to row back on my idea thinking, no, I can't do that. I haven't got the resources. Go and look at a holiday and think, well, yeah, I'd quite like to do that. Well, that's unrealistic. That's completely unrealistic. Or to do a job around the house. And I think, I can do that with a few YouTube tutorials. I can do this, okay? I can be like that really manly guy on the YouTube thing. I can do it like him. And I try it, and then I re really, really quickly realize I should have called a professional in. And I, and I think, what was I doing? What was I thinking? God can't relate to that. He can't relate to a notion of not having the resources to fulfill what he says. It happens. He, he speaks and it happens. This is our God. This is the one we worship. This is the one that says, all the earth should fear him. We should rightly revere God because he's a God of immense power. Nothing is outside of his sphere of control. I want to say that again. Nothing is outside of his sphere of control. Not one atom exists in the universe without his express permission and knowledge. He knows every single atom. There's nothing that is outside of his control. And we, we need to understand this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to take this to our hearts. We can sometimes have such a human view of God, can't we? How can he do that? Well, we're thinking through our lenses. How can he be able to do that and at the same time this be true? Or we're looking through it through our lenses. A lot of the questions I got asked by the years five and six is last week, I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because so often we're trying to say, well, this is true, and this is true. How can that be? Because they seem to be opposing to each other. They're not in God. He sees all things. And he's able, at his word, to bring breakthrough into situations. He did it then. He spoke, and galaxies were formed by the breath of his mouth. Things that we haven't even come close to scratching the surface of were formed. And he's able to do it even now in our lives. He's able to speak and things can change. He's able to speak and bring breakthrough into lives. He's able to do it. He's a God of great power. It's so important that we gaze upon God's power and sovereignty in Scripture. Verses like, chapters like Isaiah 40. Why don't you go and read that another time? Where it speaks of how he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms, but then it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All of the great oceans. We love watching things like Blue Planet, all these ferocious oceans in the palm of his hand. Just scoops it up. With the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. He knows where it starts, where it ends. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains of the scales and the hills in a balance? This is our God. And we need more than anything else to be lifted, our eyes and our hearts to be lifted to who he is. And off of ourselves, off of, you know, it's so common now to hear, just look inside yourself, look to yourself. You've got what it takes. You've got the resources you need. We don't. It's rubbish. We need to look to him who has it all. There's nothing too big for him. Thirdly, the third ground for our hope, friends, as we read on to verses uh, 10 and 11, God's purposes. K 
cannot be stopped. Let's read on here. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God has some purposes. He has some plans and they cannot be stopped. And it might not seem that way sometimes when we look around in the West at this time. We look around and we see churches maybe dwindling in some places. We see increasingly uh, values that we see and read of in the scriptures being tossed to one side. We see uh, the name of Jesus being mocked in, in, in just mainstream media. We might think, God, how is it that your plans and purposes are prevailing? How can that possibly be true? And yet, and yet, he is sovereign and his plans cannot be thwarted. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from a couple of hundred years ago, he said this, that human, uh, he says, he said, let me just find this quote here. I've got it printed out somewhere, here we go. Their persecutions, slanders and falsehoods, this is speaking of those that oppose the name of Jesus, are like puffballs flung against the granite wall. They produce no result at all. For the Lord overrules the evil and brings good out of it. The cause of God is never in danger. Those, those that seek to oppose the purposes of God, those that seek to oppose the kingdom advance, those that, say, uh, that speak uh, rubbish of the name of Jesus are like puffballs against a granite wall. They're like puffballs against a granite wall. The cause of God is never, ever in danger. You need to know this. The cause of God is never in danger. All of the plans of the nations, all of the plans of great rulers that seem so mighty, they're subject to divine intervention at any moment. God can say, stop. And they must stop. God can bring it to nothing. And the plans of God cannot be thwarted. And he's made it very clear what his plan is. His plan is that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of his glory. That right across the earth there would be people who have encountered his glory. People who have come into relationship with him through his son Jesus. This is the purpose of God. That he would have a people for himself from every nation and tribe and tongue. And he cannot be and will not be stopped. And every time people have tried, it's come ultimately to nothing. Every time he's tried, people have tried to squash it, it rises up. I was speaking recently with a, a couple of friends on Zoom, one of them in this church and one of them out in the Middle East, in a nation that I won't name here, and a Muslim-majority nation where it would be not legal to worship Jesus openly. And my friend, who's in this church, recounted a story to our friend in another nation saying that recently their Muslim friend had had a dream in which Jesus had spoken to him and ushered him to come to him. Okay, that's wonderful. But then our friend in the other nation just smiled and laughed and said, it happens all the time. It was, it was as nonchalant as you like. He's like, it just happens all the time. God cannot be stopped, friends. 
He's up to mighty things across the world. And he will have a people for himself from every nation and tribe and tongue. Why? Because as we read in this psalm, in Psalm 33, these plans, they flow from his heart. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It's not like he's under obligation to do this. It's not like it's someone else's idea. No, it flows from his heart. He wants a people. He's always been a God of love. And out of his love, he wants to have a people who will enjoy his love forever. Who will live in a renewed creation with him for eternity. It's from his heart that this flows. It's not some good idea that he had once. This is from his heart. This is a plan that will not be thwarted. Finally, fourth ground for our hope is God's care. God's care. Let's read on, shall we, in verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. God considers everything that you do. He sees everything. You're not a number to God. We're used to being a number, aren't we? When you go to the doctors, what's your NHS number? Put in your registration plate on this thing. Tell us your number. We're used to working with big corporations that don't know our name. God doesn't have to scratch his head when you come to him thinking, who's this guy again? Can someone remind me? No, no, no. He, he sees everything about you. He knows everything about you. He cares deeply for you. He considers everything you do. And that might seem quite frightening in some respects because we know who we are, what we do when no one's watching. We know what we say, what we think. But it's also immensely comforting. It's an immense ground for our hope that this faithful, loving Father who is powerful to speak and galaxies are formed and whose purposes cannot be thwarted, it's an immense comfort to know that he cares for us. And he cares for us intimately. He cares for us deeply. He knows every need that we have. He watches our coming and our going. It's what it says in Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all harm he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. He will do this both now and forevermore. He watches over your coming and going. He knew what time you woke up this morning. He knew what you ate for your breakfast. He knew whether or not you brushed your teeth. He watches your coming and going. He knows your situation. How can it be that this God can watch over simultaneously so many people? He's God. We're not. He cares for you. He really cares for you. These are better grounds than anything else that we could have for hope, for peace, for security. Are they not? There are other grounds we could look to. Verses 16 and 17 speak of kings trusting in their horses and trusting in their armies. We saw last week that there are great rulers who cannot trust their own armies. They can turn on them at any moment. 
There's things that we can trust in. We can put our hope in our own fitness, our own health, trying to be as fit as we possibly can. Trust in that. That's going to fade one day. Trust in our finances. If I get as much savings as I possibly can, if I can put enough into my pension as I possibly can, if I can squirrel stuff aside, if I can rein in the expenditure, then I can be secure, I can be safe. And then it just takes one financial crash for that all to come caving in. Not secure. We put our hope in finding security in a relationship. If I, if I have someone at the end of the day who tells me they love me, who texts me or who makes me feel good about myself, then I'll be secure. And then we know that can be so, it can be so vulnerable to change or to grief, all kinds of things. We can't ultimately put our hope fully on these things. We can't trust in these things. We can trust in God. We can put our full weight and trust in him. Let's be like those who in verses, well, let's read it now. Let's read verses 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord, let's be these people. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. This is our hope, that God will keep us. He will sustain us. He will be with us, and he will never leave us. Let us be those that throw ourselves on these things, upon God's power, upon God's character, upon God's care for us, upon the truth that his purposes cannot be thwarted. Is it now that we see why the psalmist is getting quite excited? Now that we see why the psalmist says, shout for joy. Why the psalmist says, play skillfully. Why the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to him. It's because of these great truths. It bubbles up when we consider these things. It bubbles up within us. Praise comes out. It's the natural response to those who have put their hope in God, who find their hope ultimately in him and in, not in things of this world that are so uh, unsteady and failing. We see this as a natural overflow. We see some of the ingredients here. He talks about the harp and the, the ten-string lyre. I mean, is this God's kind of favorite instrument, we wonder? Is he kind of into sort of like some nice harp music from a few thousand years ago? Or is he more of an indie rock kind of guy? Does he like kind of Coldplay and that kind of stuff? What's he into? Is he into kind of Afro beats or uh, gospel? Or is he into Bollywood music? What's, what's God's style? I don't think that's the important thing here. It's about hearts that are overflowing with praise. Hearts that come from a place of, I trust in God. He's my hope. And out of the overflow of that, I want to shout loud to him. I want to play skillfully to him. I want to make a great noise to him. I want to make his praise glorious. This is the ingredients of praise. And it's so important. We, we, we love to praise God here. It's a big part of what we do each time we gather to sing to him, to lift him high in song. And... Uh, Friends, I want to just gently encourage us that there's more for us to press into in this. It was wonderful to declare the victory of Jesus this morning. I felt right around the room that our hearts were soaring in this. We want to make his praise glorious. He is deserving of it. He's deserving of the highest praise. He's deserving of excellent 
music, skillful music. It's not about perfection. This is not like some sort of military band parade that's going to be inspected. But he's worthy of the very best, is he not? Of every genre. He's worthy of our wholehearted praise and worship. And I think that often that should look loud, logically. Logically, that should look loud and celebratory. I really believe that. It's just a natural response, isn't it? When we're thrilled by something, we make noise. Many of you, two months ago, when town won 6-0 to go up to the championship, you punched the air. You whooped and you cheered. There was a roar that could be heard across the whole town as 30,000 people celebrated. Last week, as Elton John came on stage to give his final ever gig in the UK, 200,000 people rose with a great roar, pumping the air, cheering and whooping. This is the natural response to things that we're thrilled by. And friends, when we just get a hold of this stuff, the natural response, the logical response is that we shout for joy, that we make noise. There are times, I believe, to be silent before God in reverent worship. I believe there's times where we have got nothing to say other than just to be in awe. But I think a lot of the time, it looks like the, the flavor of verses 1 to 3, shouting for joy, singing joyfully. And sometimes it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Sometimes we maybe have come in on the back of a bad week. Sometimes we've come in, we've just heard some terrible news. Or someone's been really awful to us. We don't really feel like shouting for joy. And this is where we have to learn the art of speaking to ourselves. One of the most popular worship songs of the last 20 years in the West, I guess, is Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. We're singing to ourselves those lines. Strange, isn't it? Christians, we need to be those that sing to ourselves, that speak to our souls. Like the psalmists do. You can see it in, for yourself in Psalm 42, verse 5, where the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Speaking to himself saying, trust in God. Take your hope out of the things that you've been hoping in, the security of relationships or finances or a peaceful week, and put your hope in God. We need to be those that speak to ourselves. We're not, we don't want to be those that fake it. Okay, we learn how to do the clap. We learn how to look good. You know, No, that's not what it's about at all. We need to speak to ourselves until we come to a place of, my hope is in God. My hope's in his power, in his character, in his care for me, in his purposes that cannot be stopped. And as a result, praise overflows. You understand? We need to be those that speak to ourselves. We need to press in and press through. Maybe we be those that prioritize the praise of God. Maybe we be those that say, I want to get to church. I want to be there from the get-go. I want to make his praise glorious. Because this is actually a wonderful witness to those who come amongst us, and there will be dozens here today who don't know Jesus. What is more of a witness, those who are going for it in worship or those who are just kind of like under their breath, just whispering the truths of the songs? I get we want to be mindful of the fact that 
there are people amongst us and we might think to ourselves, oh, I don't want to look like we're weird. We are weird. <laughs> we're really weird people. <laughs> Just try not to pretend otherwise. <laughs> we want to be those that are thrilled by our God. What a witness to our children to see us thrilled by our God. How is it a witness to them if, if on a Saturday we might be watching our favourite sport and going crazy when our team scores a goal? And that's nothing wrong with that, guys. But then we're just nonchalant about Jesus. May we be those that make his praise glorious, that prioritise his praise, that play skillfully. May we be a church that all the more grows creative. That we, we put our efforts and energies into making wonderful melody to him. I believe God's got more for us to grow in in that. There's going to be some things that are coming out, resources and songs that we produce as a church that make his praise glorious. I believe that's going to happen. We're going to, in just a moment, um, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And one of the band can come and be ready wherever you are. And we're going to read out the final few verses of this psalm together. But before we do that, I, I know that there are people here today who don't know this Jesus. And I want to say you are really, really welcome here. And you might think these guys are a bit weird. <laughs> but I want you to understand something really, really important about Christianity. No one got here through their own efforts. No one got to being in this place of relationship with God through trying really hard. It had to be through the utterance of one who is perfect. There was a moment, just as at creation a word was spoken and galaxies came into existence, there was a moment where Jesus Christ, the always existing Son of God, hung on a cross in agony, bleeding, struggling for each breath, and he declared something something so profound, something that has changed the lives of, of so many people here. He declared, it is finished. And at the utterance of those words, the, the work that was required for you and I to be forgiven and set free and brought into the family of God was completed. Jesus said, it is finished. And at that moment, everything required was done. Jesus hung on the cross for us in our place, taking upon himself the punishment for the, uh, the sins that we have committed. And he said, it is finished. And on the third day, he rose again. And as he rose again, it was like a declaration, the payment is complete. And now anyone who has faith in this Jesus, anyone who trusts in him, anyone who finds their hope in him, can know eternal life. Can know life with God now and forever. And so as we stand in a moment, and as we declare the last few verses of this psalm together, maybe you today want to declare to God, I'm putting my hope in you. Maybe you want to make this your prayer. Maybe you want to say, Lord, today I'm giving my life to you. 
and I want to walk with you for the rest of my life. And if you do that, I want to encourage you, urge you, please tell someone. Come and tell me. Come and tell someone you've seen leading things through this morning. Tell someone on the welcome team because we want to help you. There might be those of you who think, my next step is baptism. That would be believe and be baptized. That's how it goes. And we might be baptizing you in the weeks or months to come. There's a moment for you here. This is for you to respond to him. But let's stand together. We're going to read the last few verses of Psalm 33. And then I'm going to pray. Let's read these out together, shall we? Verses 20 to 22. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. Lord, it is only in you that we can know security. It's only in you in this ever-changing chaos that we see around us. It's only in you that we can really put our hope. And so today, Lord, we just choose to uh, realign ourselves again to these truths. And we put our hope in you, in your character, your good fatherly ways, in your power. Lord, in the fact that your purposes are unstoppable and in your care for us. And I pray for my friends here. I pray for anyone who doesn't yet know you, that even now, as we, as we sing, that you will just come and reveal yourself to men and women right across this room. In Jesus' name. Amen.